All people are when you manifestations obey God's word of that was built by slaves. Reality. And I watched my daughters. There is nobody that respects women more than I do. This Hello friends, welcome to the Loving This podcast. My name is Michael Gunger. Today I want to talk to you about the idea of grace. The word grace essentially means unmerited divine assistance. And while Christians talk about grace a lot, they certainly aren't the only people who talk about grace. Muslims talk about grace. Jewish people talk about grace. Hindus talk about grace. Even some Buddhists talk about grace. But one thing not many people talk about that I'm aware of is exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about grace. Like, is it a substance of some kind? Whether physical or spiritual or some sort of astral field or something? Or is it just like a decision or some kind of thought in the head of God? You know, like the mind of God is kind of cooking the books for some people. Let's see here, Rhonda. Let's give Rhonda a mulligan. Joe, no. Joe's going to go down in flames. Is grace like some invisible power that God sends to people? You know, like a chug splash health power up in Fortnite, the video game where we just get splashed with some unknown magical potion that somehow brings our health bar up. And, you know, nobody really asks questions about the physics of why bullet wounds are so quickly healed by a quick rinse of blue liquid. Or is it not magical at all? Is it just like a metaphor for moments when we feel the universe sort of opens a door that seems fortunate or lucky? Well, how about we take a quick musical pause for a dramatic effect and then let's talk about it. Okay, that's fine. So to play with the question, what is grace? Perhaps we should first look at the experience in which people use the word within. I mean, people keep using the word grace, right? So there's a reason people are using it. There's something in our experience that we're referring to when we speak of grace. So let's think about that famous song we heard at the beginning, Amazing Grace. Once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. So what is it that leads someone from being lost to being found? Or from being blind to seeing? Is it something out there, outside of yourself? Does your ability to see have anything to do with the light out there? Or is it more about your perception of the light. If I'm standing at an intersection, completely lost, no idea where I am, is that being lost about the intersection? Or is it about me, about my own experience 
of that intersection. Of course, if I'm lost, it has nothing to do with the intersection itself. It has nothing to do with the external world. That's just being what it is. I am the one being lost within it. You know, there are plenty of other people standing at that same intersection who are not lost. In the same way, the sun doesn't need to shine more light to be seen. The seeing happens in me, not from the sun. Right? It's not the external world that needs to change for me to see. Grace is not a something out there. It's not an external change of circumstances. Again, it's that same sun, that same light, but we have different experiences of that light. Same intersection, some people are lost, others are found. People tend to talk about grace as being whatever it is that helps a person move from being lost to being found. From not being able to see something to suddenly being able to see it. And when you've experienced moments of grace like this, You know that whatever it was that moved you from lost to found wasn't merely an act of personal will. It wasn't like you just sort of decided to not be lost anymore. And that's what made you know exactly where you were. You didn't just decide to stop being unable to see. There was some sort of catalyst, some sort of mysterious force or shift or unlocking that occurred. And it was beyond the effort of your ego. It was beyond your thinking mind's ability to comprehend or to take credit for. That sort of experience is what so many of us are talking about when we talk about grace, isn't it? I can't explain it, but some dude spit in the mud and rubbed it in my face and suddenly I could see. Or I can't explain it, the doctor gave me a death sentence and suddenly I was more alive than I've ever been. Or, I can't explain it, but somehow, when I dip this bread into this wine, I experience my body becoming one with the divine. Grace. People don't usually use the word grace to describe something that we can understand. It's not something we can point to as a clear cause and effect. You know, you don't usually hear people say, I was lost, but then by the grace of God, I looked back at my GPS screen and was found. No, when we use the word grace, we usually use it in more of a mystical or mysterious way. It's sort of like how we use other spiritual words, you know, God or heaven. When we talk about God, there's no guy who we can point at and go, that guy, that dude right there, that's God. There's no common GPS coordinate that we can all agree on and put into our phones and say, yeah, this is heaven. Because these are not concrete realities that we're talking about that we can access in three-dimensional space-time, right? They're not things that you can access with your five senses, like another thing in the universe. These words are metaphors. They are things that we use to point to experiences that you can't really explain with concrete language. These words are not things in the universe that can be pointed at themselves. They are words that we use to try to recall the ineffable. 
I mean, imagine trying to describe what it's like to fall in love without poetry or metaphor, but only with concrete nouns and verbs that can be pointed at themselves. Hey, Dwayne, tell me what it was like to fall in love with Monique. Well, my cerebral cortex excreted a significant amount of dopamine and oxytocin. Yeah, I get that, Dwayne. But what was it like? There was a tremendous amount of chemicals and hormones. My pupils were dilated, my heart rate increased, and the blood flow increased to my genitals. Talking about chemicals and tissue doesn't accurately describe the experience of falling in love. And this is precisely why we need words like love. You can't find love to point at in the universe, right? You can't say, here it is, here's this object, which you can access with your five senses clearly and cleanly. But you can experience it with your five senses. You can experience love even though you can't locate it. You can't point to grace, but you can experience grace. It's not experienced as an object itself, but the sort of the mystery by which objects themselves are more fully experienced. So how do we experience this? grace. Well, I have good news for you. All you have to do is pay me four monthly installments of $19.99, and I'll send you a bottle of the holy water from my personal hot tub. And you too can experience this great grace. <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of, kind of a funny joke. Maybe not that funny, though, because <laughs> isn't this sort of the game that a lot of religion is playing in the world. You want grace? Come listen to me talk every Sunday and give me 10% of your income. You know, you want grace? Don't have sex unless you go through us to get that permission. We'll give you a little slip. And make sure that you got to go through us. And if you ever mess up, you need to come to one of our headquarters and make atonement. You know, say this prayer believe this dogma, join this team. This is what so many people are doing. And what's sort of crazy about these scams is that they're often effective. I mean, there's a lot of religious groups that are believing wacky and harmful things, but end up still really helping people. There are all sorts of groups who are steeped in, you know, white supremacy who still somehow help a lot of people from racial minorities. There are a lot of bigoted people who have provided means of grace that have really helped people become less bigoted. <laughs> Religious groups and cults known for preying on people have also helped people find grace that has you know, radically changed their lives for the better. People who were addicts, and now we're not. People whose marriages were falling apart, and now are healthy marriages where people are wildly in love with each other again. There's people who were 
miserable and aimless who now live with purpose and meaning and happiness in some of these environments that for other people are extremely toxic. Why is this? How do we reconcile this tension? And why are these experiences not universal? Why is one person's grace another person's poison? Why is one person's poison another person's grace? You know, I think it might be time again, guys. It might be time again. Everybody's favorite time. Esoteric analogy time. Esoteric analogy time. Esoteric analogy time. Esoteric analogy time. It's the time for esoteric analogies. A great Zen master was asked by one of his disciples, Master, how did you come to find enlightenment? The master laughed. It was very unusual. Please do tell me, the disciple said. I am so desperate to know. Well, one day while meditating, the master said, my master came up and swiftly kicked me in the genitals. It was then that I woke up to my true nature. The disciple's mouth gaped open in shock. After a few moments of reflection, he spoke. Master, would you please, would you please kick me in the genitals while I am meditating? The master thought for a moment, as you wish. And from that day forth, every day, the master would approach the disciple while meditating and kick him swiftly in the genitals. Day after day, and the disciple did not receive enlightenment. After months of this, the disciple finally got fed up. And as the master approached, he said, Knock it off, master. This is bullshit. In that moment, the disciple became enlightened. Esoteric and esoteric. What disrupts one person becomes monotonous for another. Whatever shakes you out of the monotony of your patterns of thinking can be experienced as grace. Think about communion or any of the other sacraments. In a lot of Christian theology, sacraments are talked about as like a means of grace, almost like a faucet where grace comes out. And we would talk about common grace, that there was the kind of grace that was for everybody. It was like God's general grace, but then there was these specific sorts of grace, right? And they were real powerful. It's like the big bowl of blue juice in Fortnite. I was actually having a conversation about sacraments the other night with a friend who's like Hindu and Catholic. And we were having a drink of whiskey. And my friend was just wondering, like, is there anything about sacraments that's actually special? Like, why why do some people make such a big deal out of it? Is there some sort of actual magic in them? 
And as we were talking, I was just thinking about that whiskey. I'm thinking about how communion is we take a little sip of wine or grape juice or whatever your thing is. You don't just go to a bar and have a sip of wine and everyone goes, yeah, see, that was the Eucharist. We put all this stuff around it. We really set the mood, right? I mean, you get some people in robes, ringing bells and lighting incense and big old cathedrals with artwork and you get sacred scriptures and thousands of years of tradition and liturgy and then all these stories about priesthood and theology and all this stuff, right? And then and then there's other people there and everybody's like ramping up to this moment in the church service where we're going to take communion, we're going to take the Eucharist together. And it's like, boy, what a buildup. And I was thinking if we did that for that glass of whiskey that she was drinking, right? I mean, if we, if, if when you ordered a whiskey at a bar, if the bartender was like, okay, well, let me put on my robes. Some people came out with some bells, lit some incense, lit some candles. People started chanting. The whole room got quiet. (laughs) And we started telling you a story about how this whiskey was the very body of God, the very blood of the life of the universe. And when you drink this whiskey, you are becoming one with that life force that creates and sustains everything. You might, you might pay a little bit more attention to that first sip of whiskey. You know what I mean? Like you might not just casually sip and be like, Whoa, okay, hold on a second. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I'm good here. I'm going to make sure I'm ready for this. <laughs> It'd be a thing, right? Take a breath. Take a moment of silence. Maybe kind of check your thought patterns and where am I at right now in this moment? Am I ready for this? We design our ceremonies. We design our religious practices to be experienced in a way that is not humdrum. That is not just like another taste of wine or bread. It's not just another bowl of water. It's holy water. It's not just another girlfriend. It's a marriage before God Almighty, right? We like amp these things up. And when we amp them up, it's easier to be present to them, to get broken out of the monotony of patterns that we're stuck in, to see the newness of a moment. But interestingly, those things that we do can become their own monotony, right? Like the the liturgy can become monotony in itself. Praying that same prayer, breathing that same meditation thing that's supposed to help you be present to your life can actually become a way when you get attached to it and it becomes its own like rote. It can become a way of actually removing you from your life if you're not mindful. When experienced fully, 
a sacrament, a practice, a moment can be so full of life, so full of wonder. And you're one moment, you know, kind of caught up in your own little stories of separateness and suffering. And then you take that sacrament and all of a sudden you are joining your body to this greater reality that the very divine is taking root within you and you're part of this bigger flow, this community, this love, this life that's bigger than your one little separate piece of the story. And that grace can make, it's addicting, right? Like (laughs) religious addicts keep going to church all the time. You get that feeling of like, oh, you feel alive. You feel connected. You feel clean because you're not holding on to all this shit anymore. In this moment, everything is as it should be. This is grace. This is the experience of grace. And I think we have to do that. It's to learn what grace is. These doctrines, these dogmas, these buildings, these practices, this mythology, this meditation practice, it's a specific place to be present with your full attention, with your heart open to the moment as it is. And the more pomp and circumstance we surround that moment with, the more robes and bells and incense and all that stuff, it seems to kind of like be a good trick for humans to be like, whoa, this is important, right? This moment matters. The way I see it now is that's a training ground. It's a training wheels here. If you can pay attention to a candle while a candle's burning, we have some of this chanting in the background and you can feel what it's like to be in a moment. The next time you order a whiskey at a bar, maybe you'll be a little more present with it. Could you learn how to like drink something and find the divine in it? When we call this holy water, could you learn how to see water (laughs) that it's always holy that all water is holy. Could you learn by finding the divine in that statue, in that painting, in that icon, in that worship song, in that prayer, in that mandala? When you find the divine there, can you learn what it feels like to be present to what is? So that when you go back to your job, you could find the grace that is spilling out of every moment that is. Because that's how I see it. I don't think that there's special magic moments where there's some divine being that is only pouring grace here and there. Little buckets of potion. Like, you gotta come here. You gotta come to my business to get it. I don't think that's what God is. I think God is the grace that is bursting through every molecule, every atom of the universe at every single moment. The grace that holds it all together. The grace that 
creates this moment anew now and now and now. And when we're stuck, when we feel stuck in these patterns, these cycles of suffering, of thought, of behaviors where we feel trapped in our lives and imprisoned, it's because we're not present to the grace that is. Instead, we've built ourselves an imaginary universe in our minds that we're inhabiting. We're living in a universe of shoulds and oughts and of tomorrows and yesterdays. We're living in what we're attached to with our desires rather than loving this. Holy, all is holy. Feel your body. Grace is this moment. And you can't be stuck (laughs) existentially. You can't actually be stuck anywhere, anytime, because there's nothing that is ever the same. It seems like it is because we create concepts and we tell stories and we go, I know that guy. That's Bill. And Bill does this. He has this personality and has this job and certainly there are some patterns that Bill does seem to continually demonstrate but this moment Bill is not the same that he's ever been you might be able to use again some rough categories to be to try to understand a concept of a Bill but Bill in that moment has never breathed that breath feeling that exact same emotion in this exact same scenario. Bill is anew. (laughs) And so are you. And so is everything. We get, we build our world as human beings with boxes and squares. We go, today is July 12th. And there's lots of July 12ths. That's a concept. This day has never been and will never be again. Even thinking of it as a day is a concept. This moment is completely fresh. It's completely new. So you're never stuck in reality, but you get stuck in your mind. You get stuck into these patterns of believing and thinking, and assuming, and liking, and disliking, and attaching, that make the magic of life disappear. That turn this wondrous existence into some sort of banality, into some sort of humdrum prison cell, of just trying to get through, trying to make it another day, trying to extend our lives as long as possible, being afraid of death into some sort of just this 
blasé existence rather than embracing the moment as wildly magical, wondrous, miraculous. Holding on to nothing. Because what is there to hold on to but patterns of thought? Nothing remains. Nothing remains for a moment. It's constantly moving, constantly changing. The music of the universe is through composed <laughs> for the music nerds out there. It is not keep coming back to the same exact sections. There is no repeat. There are variations on a theme, but it keeps moving. It keeps being fresh, keeps changing. Grace is the experience of that. Grace is whatever the hell it takes to get you unstuck from your thinking. And it's everywhere. And sometimes, especially early on in your spiritual journeys, you need to light some fucking candles. You need to read some scripture and pray your prayers and wear your beads and go on your retreats. Whatever you need to do to get unstuck, to find that grace that's here all the time. But don't get too attached to those methods as though that's the only place where grace can be found. Because when we do that, then we begin to judge the experience of other people. And we begin to form teams based on where I found grace. And if you're not finding, if you're not finding grace where I'm finding grace, well, then you're mistaken or perhaps the enemy even. Right, because I have the truth. I know where the grace comes out. And people literally have killed each other over like stupid shit, like what kind of ways to practice the Eucharist. What? There's like wars. People killing each other about like, where does the grace come out? This kind of moment or this kind of moment? Wine or grape juice? People are, oh, and they break apart and families break apart and they hate each other and kill each other. Grace is found wherever you can see it. It's literally in every moment, in everything, in every person, in every interaction, in this breath. And this breath. And sometimes grace Sometimes the best grace, like the strong, well, best is not a word I would prefer to use. Sometimes the strongest grace will happen when you just fight it so hard for so long, not seeing it. And then it just comes in like the Hindus call Kali and just whops you on the head. Kicks your ass a little bit or a lot and says, Hey, <laughs> wake up. You can't hold on to that pattern of thinking. 
because it's not real. And when you hold on to that pattern in your mind and it doesn't end up matching reality in the long run because it never will, the harder you hold on to it, sometimes that grace is going to have to be more severe. What's going to end up getting you unstuck is going to end up being more severe. That relationship's going to fall to pieces. That job is going to disappear. That and I'm not don't hear me saying that this is like a being doing this to you necessarily. Interpret tell whatever stories you want about that. But that grace sometimes will be severe. The grace of our world right now is severe. This is some Kali grace that we're experiencing right now as in the in the world. The systems, the patterns that we are holding on to are no longer able to match up with reality. We can't continue the illusion that us building our empires on the backs of slaves and with the blood of Mother Earth is going to fix us. The illusion is crumbling. And so here's some grace and here's some grace and here's some grace. And it's painful. It's painful to see Donald Trump as the true reflection of the United States and what we want. For a lot of us, we don't want to, we don't want to recognize that. It's grace though. If you see it, if you allow it to be a mirror, It can allow us to get unstuck from the ways of thinking, the ways of being that imprison us. Every moment is grace if you let it be. If you resist it, if you push back against the moment, if you avert your gaze from what is and become unconscious, unaware, then you'll live in hell. The difference between heaven and hell is not a location. It's not circumstance. It's your experience that you're creating. Whether you experience something as grace or as torture, it's up to you. The external things aren't up to you necessarily. Like you can't do a whole lot to change. Like you, Joe, can't do anything to change whether Donald Trump is the president right now. But you can certainly change your internal response to Donald Trump's presidency. Are you suffering? Are you stressed? Are you stuck? The sooner that you see that that's in you, the sooner you'll be free. The sooner you see the grace that is available in everything, the sooner you become the flow of the universe. able to create life 
the kind of life that you want to live. And that this is not like manifestation stuff as far as like an ego getting everything at once by employing some sort of practices or something. I'm talking about being so in touch with your life, with your heart, with your desires, that you're conscious of every moment in a way that makes you free. And when you're free, you are so much more effective. You are so much more powerful than when you're asleep. When you're awake, that's when you can get shit done. So wake up, beloved. There's grace pouring on your face. <laughs> you're you're dying of thirst in the water. <laughs> it's here, the grace that you need, everything that you need to be completely free, completely awake, is right here. You don't need some other thing. You don't need to be blessed by some holy man. You don't need to memorize some holy book, climb some holy mountain. The grace that you need to be alive fully is right here, always. So take a sip of that whiskey, mindfully. Take a sip of that whiskey with the biggest open heart, the open heart of the universe herself. That sees that every moment is the fullness of the divine. That all of the happenings of the cosmos have aligned just so for this very sip. All the wars, all the marriages and divorces and religions and empires, it all happened just so, so that this very sip would be just like this. <laughs> oh, the pomp and circumstance you can imagine. A universe worth of it. Aligned precisely for this second to be what it is. It's a hell of a red carpet. For a moment. So may you pre be present, fully present and conscious of this moment, accepting it, loving it as it is. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>